Hear the word of the Lord from Exodus 20, 14. Verse 14, do not commit adultery. Hear the word of the Lord from Matthew 5, 27 through 30. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery within his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than the whole body to go, to, in, go into hell. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Thank you. I know uh, when, a couple things I want to say before we get started. First thing I want to say is uh, I like y'all. I just want y'all to know. I like y'all. I think the Lord has, um, I just think this morning, I think the Lord has done something special uh, in this church. And I, I don't, I say that because I don't think it's because of me. I think it's because of the way that you guys love and serve each other. Um, and I, I get to, what's cool is I get to hear ways that y'all love and serve each other that I, I am not a part of at all. I just get to hear stories of, of, of just how y'all serve. And I, and I think that's something that um, our, our world needs. Our, our world is, is, is had, searching for this sense of belonging, searching for this sense of care. So I want to encourage you all to invite people into this, not for the sake of me or for the sake of our, our church, but for the sake that, that people want to belong. They want to feel love and care. And, and I think that we have that here. So I would, I would I, if, if, as you pray and think, of, think about who, who is around you that would benefit from this? Who is around you that could, could benefit from being a part of God's family? And um, what's cool is uh, if all of y'all did that, y'all are all different. So we get a bunch of more different people. It'd be cool. And uh, God can get glory from that. You know, when I think about, when I thought about preaching through the Ten Commandments, I thought, man, I'm gonna have to preach number seven, and that might get a little, little, little interesting. Um, you know, one of the the, the things is um, when I when I was talking to my son, I, my oldest son, uh, we're talking through the Ten Commandments, and we get to numbers. He's he's all the other ones like I know what that means. It's number seven, and he goes, "What is adultery?" And I'm like, "Okay, all right, we got to have some pre work. You know, <laughs> let's get some pre work done." Uh, but the reality is, um, you know, uh, kids his age and a little older, they're going to start hearing about these things anyway. Um, and, and so we need to prepare uh, our children to think biblically about sex because they're going to hear it. We, we live in a, like they, you know, I'm a, let's just keep it 100. I'm watching football yesterday and, and a broad commercial comes on and I'm like, oh shoot, my son's looking out. I'm like, okay, let me turn the channel. It just there's no you're not going to get you might as well just talk about it, okay? So so we we don't need to be a church that shies away from that, that needs to be feel weird about it. Uh, it's in the scriptures, right? And I think God intended for young people to read the scriptures too, so we might as well talk about it. And so when we get in this text, we need to understand this: is that we must take sexual sin seriously and fight the sin in our own hearts, okay? We must take sexual sin seriously 
and fight that sin in our own hearts. Let's ask the Lord for help. Lord, please, please, would you help us to understand your word? There's nothing that's in your word by accident. Uh, you, you, you didn't let something slip. But Lord, your word says everything, everything in your word is profitable. And it's so that we could be equipped. So Lord, equip us with proper thinking this morning. Lord, help us to think thoughts after you that are not formed by our own whims and desires. They're not formed by the culture's whims and desires. But we would say, even this area of our life, Lord, we're going to submit it to you. So Lord, speak clearly to us this morning with both your truth and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so as we dig into this, I know that sexual sin can open up a whole can of worms, all right? So I am not going to cover all the stuff in one sermon, okay? It's just not, it's not possible, okay? Okay, so just, uh, you, might, you probably got questions that I might not answer, but what I do want to say is this, is that if you do have a question or if this does stir something up in you, uh, come talk to me. Come talk to the elders. Come talk to the leaders. We, we want to be able to discuss these things um, and that, that nothing has to be ta- taboo or hidden or swept under the rug, but that we can deal with all things in the light because that's where God deals with it, Okay. All right, so we get to the, the commandment, short verse. It says, do not commit adultery. Now, when we look at Old Testament law, some of those laws are confusing, yeah? I don't know, if you've ever, if you ever spent, if you've done like a Bible in your reading plan, man, you're going to get to like the end of Exodus. You're going to get Numbers and Leviticus, and you're going to be like, huh? Why does this matter? What is going on? And, and some of them we don't understand, and, and we might be tempted to think that the laws are arbitrary. Maybe they're antiquated. Maybe they don't matter anymore. Or maybe they're just plain unhelpful. But a good, a good question, I heard this one time on a podcast from an Old Testament professor. A good question when you're looking at Old Testament law, especially when one perplexes you, is you need to ask, who does this law protect? Who does this law protect? That is a wonderful question to ask because then you'll know, oh, this isn't arbitrary or random. Actually, God has a concern to care for people, to care specifically and particularly for those who are vulnerable. Okay, so keep that in mind. God's laws are not arbitrary. They're not random. And they're not just because he made something, not just because he want to do it. He's like, who, who's, he's thinking, how can I protect people? How can I protect the vulnerable? How can people flourish? That, that where is the, that's where the law comes from. Okay, it's not arbitrary. It's not just because he wants to kill your fun. It's because he knows how you function. And how we function best is when we're submitted to him. Okay. So when we think about the law, do not commit adultery, you ask, who does that protect? The law clearly protects the spouse, right? That's just clear. We don't have to be able to be a scholar to understand that. We understand that people are deeply hurt when they're betrayed, yeah? Particularly in this way. But in this culture, the particular Hebrew culture, the women would have been in an extreme social and economic disadvantage if they had been abandoned. There's no social security, there's no net. There's not a safety net. Listen, listen look, if, if, if men in particular were going around and being promiscuous and they decided to leave their wife, she is high and dry. And God's like, I'm not about that. I'm, not going, I'm, not, I'm, I'm going to make it so that, 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 that those who might be in a, in a vulnerable state, I'm going to protect them. And there's all these laws surrounding divorce. And again, when you think about those questions, particularly in the context, who is the law meant to protect? 
and it puts restrictions on those who are in power so that the vulnerable are protected for, okay? So the law clearly protects the, the spouse. We, that's clear then and it's clear now, okay? Uh, the law protects children. Stable home does it not promote human flourishing? Yeah, if there's stability in the home, man, that has so many benefits for the children. And it's the same way today. What's interesting is when we look at this law just, you know, on its face, I don't think this is one of the laws that people are arguing about that we should overthrow. I mean, everybody, you probably shouldn't cheat on people, yeah? Yeah, that's probably not okay. You know, like, we don't have to, we don't have to fight about that one. That's not the one that's in debate. We, should, we, we all understand that, that people's hearts are involved, people's, uh, people who have affection and love, and, and the betrayal is, is a pain that hurts and cuts deep. And this commandment ultimately safeguards the institution of marriage. Now, what's interesting is I speak to a lot of people, particularly some of our young people in our community, and they, get, they want a lot of stuff, but they do not want to get married. It's very interesting. You know, I'll, we'll, we'll sit down, and we'll sit in a circle, and we'll talk about stuff. And I'm like, what do you want? I want to I be a good dad. I want to have kids. And I'm like, well, in my mind, I'm like, well, there's, there's a piece to that. You know, like, you know, like, you need, you need another person. You know, like, and I'm like, okay, uh, what about marriage? Nah. What? <laughs> and in their mind, they actually don't see the, the, the correlation between being a good father and a good husband. Yet statistics point to the social good of the institution of marriage. Just, I'm not talking about Christian statistics, I'm just talking about statistics. Marriage is correlated to higher economic status and higher rates of happiness. There is a correlation between satisfying physical intimacy and marriage. That's just stats. Children living with married parents have better educational, social, cognitive, and behavioral outcomes than other children. Again, why, why is the law there? Think about that. Why is he being arbitrary? Is he just want to mess with us to mess with us? Or is there a good thing? And, and, and from, from a statistical perspective, from un, just people who, who deal with numbers and rates and ideas, they would say there is a social good. You know, what's, 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 this is not even what I want to tell you. What's, what's interesting is the, the marriage rate, particularly in, in lower income uh, communities, it, it, it is decreasing drastically, drastically, which actually creates this cycle because we already talked about how marriage is correlated with higher economic status. And then we have this, this, this correlation that, that, that the, the folks who are already in that, that pocket of lower economic status are not taking advantage of the social good, one of the means by which God could provide stability. You know, I talked to, to some of the young guys, and I'm like, I'm like, hey, if you do these three things in order, statistics show you will not be poor. This is statistics. If you just do these things in order, graduate high school, get married, and then have kids. If you do it in that order, I'm not even talking about you don't got to get no doctorate or nothing. You know what I'm saying? If you do those three things in order, statistics show that you will not be in poverty. 
Now, ultimately, marriage matters not just because there is some social goods attached to it. Marriage matters because it is an icon, a picture of the gospel of Christ Jesus. Ephesians 5, 31 and 32, it says, it's this whole conversation, this whole talk about marriage. And he says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. So he points to marriage, and, and let's be real, marriage is kind of profound. It's, it's interesting, and, and it's kind of awe-inspiring, especially when you, you see some people get married. You're like, man, that's so cool. But he's saying all of that, all of that points to something else. It, it points to, to this, this covenant relationship that Christ has with the church. And, beloved, those who are, are Christians, we should want to tell true things about the relationship that Christ has with his church, Yeah. We don't want to be telling pictures that are wrong. We don't want to be, be giving illustrations that don't actually look at like, like the one we're trying to demonstrate. Listen, listen, what, what Christian marriage ought to, to, to demonstrate is this idea of commitment. A Bible word we, we can use for that is covenant. Is that, that I, I have made a promise to you that I will be with you no matter what happens. It's you and me. And beloved, that is the covenant that Christ makes with us. He's not like, I like you today, but tomorrow I'm going to go get, no, no, I love you. I'm committed to you. To the end, for eternity, it is me and you. That's the commitment that Christ makes. What's also interesting about marriage is, is how this commitment takes place between people who are different. I don't know about you, uh, but I, I, men and women are different, yeah? I know that maybe that's wrong to say. Anyway, uh, <laughs> men and women are different. One of the one of the things that's so interesting, and so sometimes me and uh, my wife will be talking, and we're like, "Man, we're different." <laughs> we're just like we interested in different stuff. We like to talk about it. We're just we're just different. But, but the the beauty is is that there is a commitment between two differentiated persons. Now I don't know about this, or I don't know if you you think this is true or not, but. But you and Jesus are different, yeah? Jesus is pretty different than you. <laughs> different in all the good ways. <laughs> but Jesus is pretty different than you. Nonetheless, he says, I'm going to be committed to you. Even though you are different than me, I'm going to be committed to you. And one thing that, that marriage demonstrates is the need for forgiveness. Yeah? Now, if you, if you around somebody for some amount of time, you might feel some kind of way because they did something, right? Some come out your mouth, you're like, uh-oh. <laughs> you can't pull it back now. It's out there. <laughs> it's here. Let's go. You know? but, 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 but then we have this beautiful opportunity to forgive. Say, say I, 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 you have done me wrong, but I'm not going to hold it against you. Is that not how Christ treats us? You have done me wrong, but because you're different than me, and because you've done me wrong does not mean I'm going to leave you. Yeah? So, so in, in Hebrews 13, it says, it says, let marriage be held in honor. There should be an honor. So we, we should value that. We value it because of the, the, the natural grace that is associated with it. And we value it because it is a picture, ultimately, of the gospel. Now, I just want to make this little two cents. All right. If you are in a relationship and y'all are sinning sexually, y'all not married, we will marry you. Do you believe me? Have we not do it? Have we not done it? Okay. <laughs> Have we not done it? Let's just keep it 100. We'll make it happen. 
All right? This is not a place for shame, beloved. This is a place, okay, well, if, if there's something that, that's wrong, let's fix it. Let's get it right. Let's work together. You know, I've been, uh, a lot of times I've been sharing with you guys different catechism questions and answers on, on, on the various uh, commandments. And, and what Martin Luther says about this, it says, how do we understand, how do we understand the commandment do not commit adultery? It says this, we should fear and love God so that we lead a sexually pure and decent life in what we say and do. And husband and wife love and honor each other. Now, one of the things I, I, I really value about that, that answer is that last bit, that husbands and wife love and honor each other. There is a mutual respect, a mutual submission, a love and a care. And Luther, he didn't just make this out of nowhere. This comes from Jesus' teaching and what we heard read today. See, Jesus teaches us not simply to avoid sinful sexual acts, but also avoid sinful sexual thoughts. He says, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So, so lust is looking at someone who is not your spouse with the intent of sexual pleasure. See, Jesus understands the, the nature that, that, that sin has a root. Sinful acts have a root. And if, and if you don't want to have the fruit, you can cut the thing off at the root, yeah? So in, last week we talked about murder. If you don't want to go killing people, you need to address your anger, yeah? And if we don't want to transgress his commandments... In the sexual arena, we would also say, well, let me, let me start with my heart. Before it even gets up out of my mouth, before my hands do something, before I open a door for somewhere I need to be, let me address it in my heart before it gets all up in there. Jesus understands that if we're going to deal with sin, we don't just deal with outward stuff. We look deeply in the heart. And the reality, y'all, is that lust is dehumanizing and objectifying. In the example, Jesus gives the, the one who looks with lust sins over the other person, y'all, without the other person's consent. He didn't go, yo, can I lust after you? That's, that's not what's going on. You know, it's interesting. Uh, we're, we're living in this world where, where AI is doing, uh, artificial intelligence is doing more and more stuff. Apparently, artificial intelligence can even write sermons. I didn't, I didn't search that, y'all. I wrote this, okay? I wrote this. But here's the deal. <laughs> I read, a, I read a story uh, that, that uh, AI is actually doing stuff with pornography. And what's happening is that they're taking images of people and they're making AI pornographic videos of them without their consent. And it was about a particular woman whom, whom they had did that to. And there's a video of, but it's not her, but it looks like her and you can't tell. And she talked about how much pain that caused her. How much shame she had. I didn't even do nothing. But I got shame. Look at, what, look at what is happening. Listen, listen. Beloved, that's what lust is. You might not have put it on a computer. You might not have made a video. But you have made a picture in your own mind without that person's consent. And in doing that, you have objectified and dehumanized them. See, see lust, sinful, fantasy, pornography, what it does is it objectifies others. And it treats other humans as simply tools for pleasure. There's no service. There's no love. 
There's no interaction. Listen, I don't know, if you've been in a real relationship, like, you got to talk. You got to give and take a little bit. But when we engage in lust and, and, and pornography, it, 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 it stupefies us. It makes us not able to actually engage in real relationships when people just don't do whatever you want them to do. Yeah? It's, and this, listen to this. It sets selfish and ungodly expectations on intimacy within marriage. A lot of dudes, let's just, I, can we just keep it 100? Dudes be looking at pornography and thinking, when I get married, that's going to fix everything. No, it's not. Because you've made a fantasy. That's not how it works. That's not, that's not really how it works. And pornography statistically has many negative impacts. Again, this ain't Christians. This just statistics. <laughs> Men's exposure to sexually explicit material is correlated with the following. Social anxiety, depression, low motivation, erectile dysfunction, concentration problems, and negative self-perception. That's statistics. Jesus didn't, didn't write that. A scientist wrote that. So, 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 so look, you, Jesus ain't just going, well, I'm going to just tell you to do something because I want to run. No, no. He's saying, I know how you work. And I want to benefit you. And I need to say this, too. Uh, we, sometimes we assume that, that pornography is only a male problem. But both, I, both genders will be, are tempted. Let's not, let's not pretend like it's just one gender tempted to do stuff like that or to fantasize or to lust. Not only that, frequent pornography use is correlated with higher rates of sexual aggression. So, so people who abuse people, they didn't just start abusing people out, out of nowhere. They started looking at some stuff. And, and uh, scientists say that stuff changes your, it actually changes the way your brain works. It messes with your brain chemistry. Okay? So, so when you look at somebody who has done some sin and you're like, some sexual sin, you're like, how in the world did they? It started somewhere, y'all. Some chemicals started getting mixed up in the brain. They got, they got dopamine in the wrong places. And it messed up how they think. See, with, the, with this in mind, lust is not a matter of personal opinion. It's not like you do you, I do. No, no, no. It does real damage. It's not you do me, I do. No, no, no. If, if, if you're going to do that, that that's going to roundabout some way affect me. <laughs> and it's going to affect you as well. And if I care about you, if I love you, would I not tell you the truth? Would I not want you to understand if you're messing with something that's dangerous, that has long-term effects? So the more I think about sexual sin, so much of sexual sin has to do with identity. Okay, so think of the young woman who, that wants to be loved and thinks she will find it through fornication. What's going on there? That's not simply, it's not simply a desire for sex. It's, it's, it's a desire to be loved. Yeah? And what she needs to understand is that the love of Jesus is actually not even based on performance. You don't got to do nothing. You just have it. He, he is the one who made the step to you. You don't have to do something in order to, to make him like you, and you don't got to do something in order for him to keep staying around. He loves you because he loves you. I, I think about the young man that has confidence issues, who thinks that a higher number of partners proves his manhood. 
He doesn't understand that confidence and affirmation comes from the Father. A confidence and affirmation that is not based on what he has done or how many notches he has. That he can hear from the Father's mouth, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. So much of our cultural conversations regarding sex and gender have more to do with identity than desire. So I'm going to start swimming in some waters now. So listen, y'all know I'm a dork. I read books and stuff, right? There's this theologian called, his name is Carl Truman, and he wrote a book. It was 400 pages. I was like, I was mad. I wish he would make a smaller book. And ne the next year, he came out with a smaller book about the same thing. I was like, I already read that book. I was so mad, man. I was like, you, if you could have wrote it shorter, why didn't you just come out with that one? That one was like 150 pages. Anyway, I need to call him and be like, look, bro, you need, to, you need to reverse that order, okay? You come out with a smaller one first, and if I'm interested, I'll read more. Anyway, he got good stuff to say. <laughs> and what he says is this. This is a quote from him. It says, this is the idea about the modern conception of identity, which he calls the self. The modern self assumes the authority of inner feelings and sees authenticity as defined by the ability to give social expression to those inner feelings. The modern self also assumes that society at large will recognize and affirm this behavior. So who I truly am who I truly am has to do with the feelings that roll around in my heart. Now, it's so interesting. We swim in that, so that seems obvious to us, right? But if we went back, you know, two, three, four hundred years, who you are is actually determined by your parents. <laughs> you got to print as young. I'm not saying one's better than the other, but we swim in a culture that we don't even understand that that's odd. What it's teaching us is that the primary authority in our culture is our inner feelings. That's, that's the primary authority. That's what it is. Now listen, listen. Our feelings should not be ignored, but they should not also be obeyed without question. Yeah? There's some feelings I didn't have that if I obeyed, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> Let's just keep it 100, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's some feelings I didn't have. I'm like, let me sit on that for a minute. I don't know if I need to do that. You, and we all understand, like, let's take the comment, let's just back up. And sometimes we, gotta, we have to establish first principles before we try to apply them on something. So let's take it out of the realm of sexuality. Do you have desires that you know you shouldn't fulfill? Yeah, okay, okay, we, we all, okay, we're on the same page. All right, somebody ain't special. Everybody understands the tension, right? That they understand that Christian, the, the tension. So, so what's interesting is that, is that when you have a desire that you feel like you ought not to express, our culture says the issue is that you have some, 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 some things, some, some ideas that you need to let go so that you can express your true self. But there's been times when if I express my true self, I'd be in jail. <laughs> so, okay, okay, so let's go back up again. All right. So as Christians, we have to ask ourselves this question are these two questions. Who gets to define me and who gets to dictate my conduct? Who gets to tell me who I am and who gets to tell me what I should do? Now, we in the Ten Commandments, we can look at, at the beginning in verse 2, in Exodus 2, he says, he says, before he starts giving commandments, he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the place of slavery. The first thing that he does is like, look, before I give you rules, let me remind you of something. I am the God who has saved you. I have redeemed you. I have brought you out of darkness. Therefore, you ought to listen to me. 
He reminds them who he is, and he reminds them of who they are in relation to him. So before he even gets to the commandments, he's like, let me tell you why you need to listen to me. Or we can go and see how the apostles instruct us about the body. Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, he says, Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. For you were bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. He makes some claims there about who you belong to, yeah? You are not your own because the blood of Jesus redeemed you purchased you out of the slavery of sin. You are not your own because the God of all creation lives inside of you. Listen, if you and God occupy the same space, there's somebody who should be calling the shots. Do you think it's you? See, these, we need to establish first principles. These ideas, beloved, need to be applied to our conversations regarding LGBTQ topics and gender identity issues. It's not simply a question of what's permissible, what can I do, what can I get away with? No, that's, that's the wrong question, particularly if you're a Christian. The question is, to whom do I belong? To whom do I look as my authority? Those questions will challenge every single one of us. We need to be careful. We need to be careful to hold truth with grace, Okay? And I'm not just going to tell you, there, here are some ways that you can do it. I guess a couple ways. How, how can we speak about this topic in a gracious way? There's a couple of things. Everybody in this room knows what it's like to have a desire that you know you should not act on. Everybody. Now, it's not the same one. We all different. But everybody understands that feeling, yeah? This doesn't mean that you need to get, get over your hangups about the idea. It sometimes means that you should submit your desires to your reason and your will. Now, there really is such a thing as false guilt, right? There is a such a thing where you feel guilty about something that you shouldn't feel guilty about. But there also is such a thing as a seared conscience, where you actually don't feel guilty about what you ought to feel guilty about. The, 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 The bottom line is this. You can't just trust what you feel about it. Your feeler is off, if you, if you feel me, okay? Listen, you can't just, tr- like, there has to be something outside of yourself because you would testify that your feelings and your desires are not always trustworthy. And so would I. So, so there's got to be something else that I'm, that I'm looking to. But if everyone can agree that we want some stuff that we know we shouldn't want, that means we got to be gracious with others. Even if they want something differently than what you want. You can be like, but I, I get you, though. <laughs> I know what that's like. Here's another, another thing that can help us hold these, these truths uh, with grace. No one gets to pick what they get tempted with. No, no it wasn't like you was born and, and God just had a list of sins. You're like, which one you want to struggle with? <laughs> you want that one? <laughs> I mean, look, listen, listen, we're all tempted by different stuff up in here. Listen. But I, I'm not saying I'm better. I, I'm not. I've just never been tempted to steal. Now I accidentally steal pens, but like that's not on purpose. I just put it in my pocket and I walk away. But like I've never. That's just not a temptation that I struggle with. I'm not like I man. I'm gonna steal that thing. But the anger, though, <laughs> that's something. And, and sometimes I'm like, why I gotta struggle with this one? I don't. I don't even want to be angry right now. But I'm sitting here angry. Listen, nobody in this room gets to choose what they are tempted with. 
The particular sins that we gravitate to, towards are some combination of nature and nurture. But either one, you didn't get to choose. So, so what that means is that you can't look at somebody else and go, how dare you be tempted with X, Y, Z? They didn't choose that. You didn't choose what you get tempted with. This means that you must have a deep humility when interacting with someone who is tempted to sin in a way that you are not. They're not tempted to sin because you're better than them. You didn't, get to ch- you didn't choose, they didn't choose. Okay? Another truth that you can remember that we can hold this truth with a lot of grace is that Jesus Christ is incredibly patient with you as you walk with him. My life and your life is full of paradox and stories of spiritual victories and defeats. Okay? Let's just keep it 100. And in my time of spiritual defeat, Jesus isn't like, get up away from me. (laughs) Bye, Felicia. He's not doing it, okay? That's not what he's doing. In my times of defeat, when sin has slapped me in the face and I succumbed to a desire that I shouldn't have because I knew it was wrong, nevertheless, Jesus says, you come to me. You come to me. He is so, listen, he is more patient with us than we are with ourselves. So if he is patient with us, our behinds better be patient with other people. Jesus doesn't cast you off, so so we're not going to cast nobody off. All right? Now, Jesus instructs us to fight sin. Look at verse 29 and 30. It says, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Doggone Jesus. He just said it, right? He wasn't, he wasn't talking about fairies and wasn't giving people little butterflies in their tummy, nothing. See, that, that, now I do believe he's speaking high, in a hyperbole for effect. But what he's getting at is this. If someone who has been forgiven by Jesus desires to follow Jesus. I put it another way. Scripture teaches that we are saved by faith alone, but that faith does not come alone. That faith comes with repentance. It comes with a desire for holiness. So, so put it another way. I think what Jesus is saying is this, is if you sin and you have no qualms about it, you need to be questioning something. Pause now. Because you might be headed in a place that you don't want to go. But, 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 but what I think Jesus is, is calling for is I don't think he's calling for perfection because we, you know, ain't nobody here got it. But he's calling for a true drive to want to do what he says. And if you don't have that, if your relationship, I'm going to do what I want and Jesus blesses it. That, nah, nah, you going, you going the other way. You are going to judgment. But beloved, if you say, I'm struggling with that, Jesus. I do it sometimes. I don't want to do it, but I trip up. But I really, really want to do what you want to do. Jesus says, you come on. What he says is, is that you got to be aware of what you put before you. He says, if you're right, I can. Now, he ain't actually talking about cutting out. Don't nobody start cutting your eye out now. That's weird. He ain't talking about that. Like, you know, like, but, but, but what you put in front of your face, it, it kind of has an effect. And, and, and markers know that, right? Marketers know that what we consume with our eyes and our ears, what we consume, it determines what we want. Yeah? My kid wasn't born liking McDonald's. 
they're like, you going to get a toy, though? I'm like, oh, <laughs> okay, <laughs> let's go. You know what I'm saying? Like, the marketers kind of, kind of, they actually, here's the crazy thing. Marketers can, can change your appetite and twist what you want. So, so you need to be careful about what you put. You'd be like, I'm cool. I don't want that. You might not want it now. But you keep fooling around with that mess. It's going to change what you want. It says be careful what you participate in. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Now, now, I don't know if this is true or not, but there is a record of, of this guy in church history who took this quite literally. And I'm going to just say that. But here's the deal. That what you cut off don't change your mind, okay? He didn't get the point. The idea is this, is this. You have to be careful what you participate in. Proverbs says it another way. It says, don't go near the door of sin's house. Yeah? I'm just, I didn't go through the door. I'm just chilling by it. I just, I just like to sit here. I just want to sit right here by the door. I won't go in it, though, I promise you. I, want, I know what's in there. I like it, though. But I ain't gonna, I'm going to sit right here by the door. I got so much integrity that I'm not going to... Listen, that's dumb. Like, if you know what's behind the door ain't good for you and you want it, don't sit by the door. Back up. Now, I, I, I'm going to be real. I know that when, when we talk about this sin, there can be lots of feelings of guilt and shame, wanting to hide. But here's one thing I know for a fact is that Jesus loves those who struggle with sexual sin. He loves them. In Luke 15, too, the Pharisees is always complaining. This man welcomes sinners and eat with them. There's a story, there's a story where Jesus is sitting with some Pharisees and a woman, whom, whom is an, an, a known prostitute, comes in there and she starts weeping and washing his feet. And the Pharisees are like, don't you know who she is? And she's like, she treated me with more respect than you do. So, so, so if, if you feel guilty about sexual sin, Jesus didn't say, get away from me. He's saying, come here. Come here. I love you. Come here. I'll forgive you. Come here. He's not pushing you away. He's doing the exact opposite of what his church often does. Yeah? If somebody's struggling with sexual sin, it's not go over there. It's no, you come here. Come here. We love you. Listen, the, the, the Bible says that, that, that we are the body of Christ, okay? So Jesus is not here in the flesh, but he's, he's here through us. And so this same attitude that he has towards sexual sinners, we should have. The embodied body of Christ should offer welcome in three ways. Through confession, assurance, and fellowship. So listen, a way to provide a welcome to someone who is struggling with sin is not by overlooking it. Let's just keep it 100. That's not the way. But the way is saying we can be honest about what we're struggling about. And we, we can confess it, and we're not going to throw nothing at you. We're not going to kick you out. Not, we can be absolutely honest about whatever it is. And, and, and what the body of Christ does is when somebody confesses, what do we do? We provide assurance. I was sitting with a brother, and, and he had had a history uh, of dealing with 
pornography, but he had some years under his belt. He was doing good. But he sinned and he slipped up and he told me and he was he was weeping. And, and you, you know, the only thing I knew what to say is, is if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for our sins, but for those of the whole world. And I could just see this load come off of him. Beloved, when someone confesses sin, you better say the gospel to them. You better proclaim forgiveness. Because when we confess our sin to God, what does he do? He forgives us. All right? So the, the body of Christ, we, we, we confess, we offer assurance, and then we offer fellowship. We walk with each other. Yeah? Now, walking with each other doesn't mean you breathe down each other's neck. Let's just keep it 100, okay? But it means you check in. Hey, man, you said you were struggling in this other area. How's it going? How can I pray for you? You know, maybe, maybe, maybe here are some tips that I have that might help you go in a different direction. Maybe we can discuss how we can, listen, we walk with each other. Look, Jesus had a bunch of disciples that was jacked up, and he said, y'all come on with me. <laughs> and listen, there's opportunities where Jesus had to be like, look now, <laughs> y'all need to chill, but you can still come, but you got to stop tripping. <laughs> okay. No, he fellowships with us, so we offer fellowship to those struggling with sin. What I, what I want to end on is this. <laughs> This is 1 Timothy 1.15. Again, it says, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Translation, remember this and say it a lot. Remember this and say it a lot. And this is what he says. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. Sear that in your mind. When sin is knocking at your door, when you slipped and fall and the accuser is pointing his finger at you and he's saying, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner. You can say this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I feel like the worst of them. Guess what? He came to save you. He offers you forgiveness. Christ came and suffered for you, so you can come to him at any time, and he offers you forgiveness and healing. That always has to be our last word. Our last word on sin is not simply do better. Our last word on sin is you have been forgiven. So you hear that. So I'm gonna say it again because he said his trust is the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's what we celebrate today, y'all. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Even, even when your word stings, Lord God, you, you're like a surgeon and you got a scalpel and you might cut us, but it's to heal us, Lord. So let us uh, accept, uh, accept the wounds from your word as faithful wounds from a friend because you care deeply about us. And, and Lord, I, I pray specifically that you would help us walk in openness and transparency regarding sexual sin. I pray that no one in this room feels like they have to hide, that they can't tell anybody. Lord, I pray, Lord God, that people would be open and honest with each other. And Lord, that you would cast down any judgmental thoughts 
but that we would respond with the words of Jesus. Forgiveness, love, healing, restoration. So Lord, you, 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 you wound us with your law so that we can confess and you would heal us with your gospel. So Lord, let us not be afraid of that first wound so that we can receive the healing of forgiveness. Would our church be a place where people can be open and honest about sin? And that they would, they would believe deeply in their heart that, that Christ Jesus came to save sinners. In Jesus' name, amen.